Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host attorney Rodney Dowell here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys in their practice, especially solo or small firms. We're glad you could listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dow, Director of the Massachusetts Law Office Management Program, offering free consultations to Massachusetts attorneys to improve their business practices. You can find out more about our program at www.masslowmap.org, and you can find one of our many articles about law office management at our Mass Low Map blog, The Law Practice Advisor, masslowmap.blogspot.com. There you also find our blog roll featuring the best law practice management blogs in the country, such as my friend Courtney Kennedy's South Carolina Small Firm. And this program note to welcome our sponsor, the fine folks at Abacus Law, A-B-A-C-U-S-L-A-W.com. Today, we are speaking with my friend and colleague, Allison Shields, who provides coaching and consulting services for attorneys and law firms on leadership, practice management, and business development through her company, Legalese Consulting Incorporated. Allison brings the practical knowledge gained by working as the administrative partner at a New York law firm. Allison, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Rodney. So I had the good fortune to see you speaking recently at the Massachusetts Bar Association's annual conference, which, by the way, you received rave reviews from. And you were talking on uh, finding time to be a lawyer, market your practice, and manage your practice all at the same time. And when you and I spoke about that, you also told me that you often will work with attorneys on marketing on other issues. And after a period of time, they come back to you and say, I just don't have time to do this stuff that we're, we're talking about. So as a coach and consultant, where does that leave you and the attorney in trying to resolve these issues? Well, it's, it's a common problem, Rodney. You know, I, I get lawyers who come to me for all different aspects of help on, on practice management or marketing strategy, productivity issues. And almost all of the time, regardless of what the initial issue is that they come to me for, we end up circling back to this time issue. Um, it doesn't matter how much technology we have that's supposed to make us get things done faster. It just seems like nobody has enough time during the day to get anything done. So what I usually do in those instances is talk to the, you know, my client, the attorney, about how they're using their time presently. Um, And I think time management, which is a common term, is really a misnomer because we can't manage time. We only have as much time as there is. Everybody's got the same 24 hours, the same seven days a week. Um... You know, so what we really have to do is organize the activities, organize what it is that we're doing within the time that we have. You know, obviously some of that time has got to be allotted to spending time with family and sleeping and eating and commuting and those kinds of things that, that we can't get around. So we only have a certain amount of time to get actual work done. Um, and there have been studies that have shown that there are lots of things that get in the way of that. Well, what kind of things that do you find challenge the attorneys for organizing their time? 
Well, I think one of the biggest things is is shifting priorities. You know, we think that we're going to get one thing done during the day and we get interrupted, the phone rings or our client has an emergency. Um, if we're working in an office with other people or we're, we're in a firm, you've got somebody who just drops in, whether that's a client or a colleague or someone who's got a question. Um, sometimes it's just ineffective delegation. Sometimes it's clutter. I mean, that's a huge problem for attorneys, especially for those who are still working on a very paper-intensive kind of practice where they've got files all over and they can't find things. Um, and even those who are trying to work on a more electronic platform often have sort of computer clutter that gets in the way that they have not effectively assigned where they're saving things, uh, or they just have lack of discipline and they're procrastinating. And, I mean, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, the clutter and the uh, both electronic and uh, and paper. Uh, I certainly see that a lot. Um, how what are kind of things that people can do to deal with that type of clutter and to try to make organize their life and, and work more effectively? Well, I mean, you, you use two words a little bit there, being being efficient and being effective. And I think sometimes we forget to distinguish between those two things. So there's efficiency, doing things the right way, um, and there's effectiveness, which is choosing to do the, the right things. So you may be very efficient at what you're doing, but it may not be the right thing to focus on. Um, or you may just be inefficient, and I think the clutter a lot of times is inefficiency. There, there isn't a good system, especially if you've got multiple people working in the firm. Maybe everybody isn't naming documents the same way, and so you're wasting time looking for documents because there's no easy way to identify what they are off of the computer screen. Um, and I think that effectiveness issue, learning how to to prioritize and to figure out what you should be focusing your time on is a big problem for attorneys. They tend to focus on whatever's the most urgent, which may be the ringing telephone, even if that's not the most important thing they should be addressing. So you're talking about prioritizing things when you're talking about trying to figure out what's urgent and what's what really needs to be done? Right. And I, I think that a lot of times we, we're so in that reactive mode that we don't take the time to sit down and prioritize and decide, you know, what are the things that we're really going to focus on? What's important for my practice or for my firm um, or for my practice group for the next X period of time, whether that's a year or three months or even just this week, you know, instead of sitting down and taking control of that, we're letting it take control of us by whatever gets thrown at us. That's what we're doing first. So I have a couple of things that I try to remind my clients to do. Um, one of them is what I call the power of three, to only focus on three main things at a time. And I even tell my clients on a yearly basis, look at what you want to accomplish, pick three main goals for the year. And that way, as things are getting thrown at you, at least you have a filter. So you can say, well, this isn't one of the three main goals that I want to work on. So does that mean I have to reprioritize? Should this be a main goal so that I should focus some energy on it? Or can I table that idea for next year or for six months from now? Or should I maybe delegate it to somebody else who is focusing in that area? And this way, at least there's some way of deciding how to prioritize and what to focus on. Um, the other big one I use is what I call the power of one, because a lot of times the overwhelm for attorneys comes from carrying an enormous to-do list from day to day that only gets longer and longer instead of getting shorter. And 
they feel depressed and they feel overwhelmed and they feel as if they're not accomplishing anything, even if they are. So I tell my clients to ask themselves on a daily basis, what's the one thing that if they accomplish that one thing today, they could go home at the end of the day and feel that it was a productive day? That I mean, that sounds like a great advice to me. I mean, so uh, you you provide a, a plan to create focus for the year, for the month. Uh, you have a the power of one. Now, one of the other things I think I heard you speak about before is your don't do list, which I think plays into that concept. Can you tell me what what you meant by that? Sure. You know, as I said before, we we tend to be list makers, and we have these to do lists that go on and on. But we don't stop to think about where we're spending our time on a daily basis or what tasks we're devoting time to or even what people we're devoting time to um, that maybe we shouldn't be at all. You know, what things can we eliminate from our practice? Are there things that we're doing on a daily basis or, or people that we're interacting with on a daily basis that don't serve what our main goals are? You know, some things, especially in a law practice, there are systems or procedures or tasks that are set up, you know, that may have been in place from 10 years ago when we operated in a different way. You know, I see a lot of that with people switching over from being a very paper-focused practice to being a more electronic focused practice. And so they've got procedures and things that are outdated having to do with multiple copies in the files and how they save things because they needed to have backups on paper. Whereas now that we're looking at the electronics, maybe we don't need to do some of those things because we can find our documents and we can find information more easily on the computer. So taking a look at what's outdated in the practice, what doesn't really need to be done or what doesn't need to be done by me as a lawyer, you know, what has the highest value to the practice in terms of either growing the business or building on existing relationships with clients and doing the really high-level legal work that requires a lawyer and not spending so much time and energy on, on these other tasks that maybe can be done by somebody else, whether it's somebody in the office or outside of the office even. And another one of the things I thought was really interesting when you talk about prioritizing and, and don't-do list kind of was uh, the don't uh, accept a, a bad client. Can you Talk to to me a little bit more about that. I thought that was extremely interesting uh, concept that you were talking about. Yeah, and and it's one that's that's kind of hard because especially in this economy, everybody's so concerned about when where the next dollar is coming or the next client that maybe is going to come your way. How are you going to make ends meet and pay your bills? And if you've got staff, you've got other responsibilities, family, and things. Um, but the truth of the matter is that. If you're familiar with the 80-20 rule, it applies to clients also. So 80% of your clients will bring you 20% of the work, of your work. People are usually familiar with that. Um, 20% of your clients will usually bring you 80% of your headaches. And so a lot of time and energy and focus is getting sucked out of you and your practice to these bad clients. Um, and there are lots of different ways of defining bad clients. They can be clients that just don't listen to you. They don't value your advice. They may be the clients who are nickel and diming all the time. Um, the clients who are doing exactly the opposite of what you want or who aren't cooperative in terms of responding to you. you know, plenty of people make 
complaints about lawyers not being responsive and not returning phone calls, but sometimes it's the clients that the lawyers are, are chasing down. And what ends up happening is that those clients are getting an, um, disproportionate amount of your time and energy, whether it's billed that way or not. Which means, by definition, that the good clients, the ones who heed your advice, who pay as soon as they get the invoice, who are referring you um, good business, are getting sort of the short end of the stick. And when you eliminate the, the worst clients from your practice, oftentimes you're working less hard, but your revenue goes up. And part of the reason for that, and I think I talked about this last week at the um, Massachusetts Bar Conference, is that like attracts like, and like refers like. So your good clients will tend to refer other people who are like them. So in other words, good clients will refer good clients. The same thing happens with bad clients. So if you're accepting bad clients and you're not instituting a good procedure for client selection and weeding those clients out early on, and you're maybe discounting your fees for them, and you're working inordinately hard for them and they don't appreciate it, they may still refer their friends to you or their colleagues, but chances are the people who they refer to you are going to be the same kinds of bad clients. They're going to be looking for the same kinds of discounts and the same kinds of courtesies and the same, um, they may have the same attitudes. So bad clients refer bad clients. So it's almost exponential when you take one bad client, um, what that's going to do to your practice. So being selective and putting certain clients on your don't do list can be very effective. Um, and it can be very effective for your staff too. I mean, I know lawyers who they let their staff choose one client you know, maybe on their birthday or as part of their Christmas bonus, that that staff person gets to choose a client to fire. Uh, and sometimes the staff knows even better than you do who your worst clients are, who the problem clients are. And that makes your staff feel valued and, and part of the firm, and there's loyalty built up there also. Um, but the staff knows who takes up most of their time and, and who's not helping them be productive. Well, I, I've really thought that that concept of the, the bad clients leading to bad bad clients is was really uh, a strongly um, uh, it, it was a very important concept I think and not not one that I'd exactly thought of in that way before but it seems to me like it's very intuitive uh, when you express it correctly and probably has an amazing ability to change your your quality of your practice, the quality of your lifestyle, and and the amount of money you make in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. Because as I said, usually you're working you're working less hard or at least it, maybe it's not less hard, but it seems to take less energy to work for people who really appreciate you. You know, they sort of give back to you and there there's a whole dynamic there that's missing with the bad client who's just sucking the energy out. You know, they're kind of like energy vampires, the bad clients. Now, one of the other things I think that you kind of were alluding to uh, while we were talking about how to prioritize and, and selection of clients and so forth was creating systems and structures to help you become more efficient. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by uh, systematizing uh, procedures in a law office and what types of procedures you think are most effectively systematized in a law office? 
Sure. And I think actually the systems, you know, most of us think about systems as making us more efficient, but they can kind of make us more effective too, because sometimes the system will free you up to, to focus on, instead of focusing on the procedure or focusing on a particular task, you can focus on something that's a higher value because you've got a system in place that makes it sort of automatic. So the way I try to explain systems to my clients is that almost anything that is done on a regular basis or on a repeated basis within your practice can be systematized. And that doesn't mean that those systems are not customized for particular clients or practice areas or or situations, but having the system in place frees you up so that you're not wasting mental energy on trying to remember what the next step is or if you know what the next step is, trying to remember to do the next step. So even something as simple as having a follow-up system, and I was working with a client this week on this, a follow-up system for when you come back from a networking event. And everybody's got that stack of business cards that they accumulate from a networking event, and they have every intention of following up, but it doesn't happen because the business cards maybe will sit on your desk, and they never get entered into your database. There's no phone calls made. There's no follow-up. Whereas if you have a system... For example, there's somebody in your office who's going to scan the business card into your system and get the contacts all into whatever you use, whether it's Outlook or something else. And then they're categorized. Maybe these are potential clients. These may be strategic alliances or or lawyers that work in other practice areas. And you've got a system for follow-up setup. So if it's somebody who's the potential client, they automatically get a letter which says, it was great to meet you. I would love to be able to help you with your real estate transaction. Here's some information about our firm or here's an article on that topic or whatever it might be so that the people in a particular category always get the same follow-up. And then it's not just the first follow-up, it's that automatically triggers the next step. So when that letter goes out, there's automatically a task or a tickler generated in two weeks or one week or whatever it might be, depending on who the person is, to follow up. And maybe the second follow-up is a phone call um, to set up an appointment to have coffee. Or maybe the second follow-up is just an email. But you don't have to think about it because the one activity automatically triggers the next one. Um, the other system that I think a lot of attorneys have semi in place but not completely is an intake system. Now, what happens when a potential client calls your office? They should be always put through sort of the same system. Do somebody sets up an appointment for them to come into the office? Do they get a confirming letter? Are they told what documents they're supposed to bring to the initial consultation? Um, how is a, an initial file set up? What does the client get when they walk into the office? What information does the firm need to obtain during that initial consultation in order to set up the file? Um, what is the follow-up letter that goes to the client after they come in for the initial consultation? And, and when is the next follow-up? So all of that can be put together in a system so that, again, the first action triggers the next action automatically, and it's already there, and you don't have to worry about whether or not you got that retainer signed back from the client because the system automatically either kicks out the letter or puts up the reminder or what have you. Now, tell me this. I mean, if if a, if a listener is, is you know, listening to this and they're saying, yeah, I really need that, is that the kind of stuff that a consultant like yourself steps in and will help a law firm 
develop or how, how should they go about developing that kind of system and structure? Absolutely. I mean, I work with a lot of my clients on it, but one of the ways, especially if you've got solos or small firms, is to kind of document what they do usually, and that will highlight where the gaps are. So you could even just have somebody follow you around and you dictate to them, this is this is what I'm doing, and have it have it written out because having the system, the procedure, helps not only you, but it helps your staff, and it helps you train other people if they come in. And if you hire an associate, and you have to explain to them, this is what we do for intake purposes. Um, so I can go through that with my clients, but there's no reason why you couldn't do it yourself. You just document what you do on a regular basis, and that's where you see what you're missing. So you'll so you'll do it once, and you'll realize, well, the client didn't mean send me these documents or didn't bring them to the first consult. So what can I go back and put into the system to make it easier for either for me to remember that or for make it easier for the client to do that? Maybe it's sending the client an email with the confirmation of the appointment that lists the documents. Great. We need to take a short break now for an announcement by our sponsor, Abacus Law. Going paperless is just one of many things you'll learn in the informative and entertaining on-demand webinar called 15 Secrets to Avoid Law Firm Disasters. Abacus Law President Judd Kessler, Esquire, will share ways to overcome law practice obstacles, secrets to make technology work for you, how to avoid malpractice, and the best way to prevent client remorse. The webinar is free when you visit abacuslaw.com slash paperless. That's abacuslaw.com slash paperless. Watch the webinar today. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Want to tell a national audience about your latest successful verdict or large settlement case? We'll produce a video interviewing the prevailing attorney and distribute it online on the Legal Talk Network. Put the video on your firm's website, too. Call us at 781-551-9960. That's 781-551-9960. Welcome back to the Unbillable Hour on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dow, joined by Allison Shields, attorney, consultant, and coach. Uh, Allison, I appreciate you uh, joining us again. And what I wanted to do is we talked a lot about systems and structures. And I think kind of the natural progression from talking about systems and structures is the need to to delegate, which you talked a lot about at the recent Massachusetts Bar Association's conference. So Tell me how attorneys who I think are notoriously bad at delegation, what, how they need to improve their delegation and what you work with attorneys to improve on that particular uh, need. Sure. Well, one of the reasons I think attorneys are notoriously bad at delegating is because 
um, one of the ways you get to be a good attorney is by being somewhat of a perfectionist. And that means that it's very difficult to let things go and sort of give somebody enough rope and enough time and enough support to be able to do the task um, without you taking it back when they do it wrong the first time. And part of that is just understanding that when you first start delegating, it isn't going to come back perfectly the first time or maybe even the second time. But you can improve your delegation skills by remembering what the cost is of doing it yourself. You know, there's a reason why you're delegating, and that's because this is not necessarily the highest use of your time, that there's something else that's a higher use. Um, but I also think that the first step in delegating is one that most attorneys gloss over, and that's where the mistake gets made, which is they'll call an associate into their office and they'll say, I, here's a project I want you to do, or I want you to do a memo on this, and they'll explain the whole project, and then they'll say to the associate, did you understand that? And most of the time, the other person is not going to admit that they didn't understand it, so they'll just say yes. And then when it doesn't come back correct, the person who was delegating gets upset and they say, well, I'll just finish it because they obviously didn't understand or they can't handle it. So what I recommend is that in that very first meeting, instead of just asking, did you understand, is ask the other person to repeat back to you what the assignment was in their own words. And this way you can tell if they really didn't understand you. Um, I think the other problem is that lawyers forget to put parameters around things. So they may have in their mind that they think this memo should, or research or what have you should only take 10 hours. Um, and then when it comes back, the associate spent 25 hours on it, but there was no control in the middle. So the partner gets mad and then they have to write the time off or write it down or, or whatever. So give some parameters to say, I'm expecting this to take 10 hours. So, if you're starting to get close to that and you don't think that you're finished, come back to me and we'll see where the disconnect is. Or check back with me after you've spent five hours so that if you're off track, we can readjust. Um, you know, give, give time limits, not just in terms of how much time, five hours, ten hours they should spend on it, but I need this within a week. Um, and tell them what the priority is with respect to other projects that they might be working on so that they know, well, I know I just gave you something yesterday, but this one is more important. So put that one aside and, and work on this one instead. So help them uh, put some focus and prioritize by giving them a scope and a structure to work within. Exactly. Exactly. So the steps I usually go through for delegation are, number one, give clear, comprehensive instructions. Number two, ensure that you've been understood, not by just asking, but by letting them repeat back to you. Um, setting a definite deadline and establishing a priority. Checking in. And then the final one, which is the other one, the other place I think attorneys fall short, which is evaluating and sharing the outcome. You know, sometimes you'll give somebody a project and you never really give them any feedback on how well they did or how that project or that work that the other person did contributes to the whole. So maybe they worked on a memo or a motion on a case, but they never find out whether we won or lost the case, was the client happy or not happy. So you want to get them engaged and involved, even if they're only going to be working on a piece of the matter, so that they feel that they're a part of it. Well, Allison, that uh, wraps up our time today, and I appreciate you you taking the time to join us. Um, 
really, really do appreciate you taking the time. I think you have so much valuable information to to provide to people. And I was really impressed with your uh, presentation last week that I saw at the Massachusetts Bar Association's conference. Now, can you tell us where our listeners can go to find out more about you and your uh, thoughts about time management, operation efficiency, and so forth? Sure. Well, my website is lawyermeltdown.com, and there's lots of articles and, and resources there for lawyers. And I also write a blog, and that's at LegalEase, which is E-A-S-E, consulting.com. And if anyone's on Twitter, they're welcome to follow me on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is Allison Shields, which is A-L-L-I-S-O-N-S-H-I-E-L-D-S. Thank you. And you can find out more about me, Rodney Dow, masslowmap.org, uh, and follow our blog at masslowmap.blogspot.com and on Twitter at, at Rodney Dow, where I hope we can continue this discussion in 140 characters or less. And remember, you can also find this podcast in all Legal Talk Network shows at www.legaltalknetworks.com and iTunes as well. And special thanks to our gracious sponsor, Abacus Law. Take the time to go to its website, which is packed full of excellent resources about starting your practice and practice management. I hope you'll join us again in the next on Billable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast with Attorney Rodney Dowell. Join us again for the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.